Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years as a banker to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability that they never thought possible. We have three great guests on the show today. I want to welcome each of them. Uh, Beth Miller with Executive Velocity. Beth, so glad to have you on the show this morning. Well, thank you for inviting me, Bill. We have Matt Hyatt, who is the CEO of Rocket IT. Matt, so glad you joined us on Profit Sense. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. And Uli Dendi with True Language. Uli, thanks for coming on Profit Sense this morning. Honored to be here. Beth, I'm going to start with you. So let's agree that uh, the biggest asset and most important asset of any business is not on the balance sheet. It's the people. That's correct. Yeah. And people aren't just employees, they're investments. We as business owners invest in those people. So I want to ask you to start off, how does a company ensure they invest in the right people? to grow their company? That's a good question, Bill. Uh, well, well, first of all, it's it's understanding the, the talent that you have and where they have gaps related to the position that they have or the position that you're trying to develop them to. Uh, but first of all, it's, it's getting the right people on the bus. And, and that's something that I often find companies don't have, especially smaller companies, the right process to get the right people on the bus. So it's, you know, making sure that you have a really good interviewing process and use an assessment tool of some sort um, that will will help you make that decision. Once you've made that decision, then you only have a certain amount of money to spend on on development and training. So you want to make those dollars stretch as far as possible. So, you know, what can you do internally versus what what will you have to buy in some way, whether it be, you know, online uh, training or external resources. Uh, but it's figuring out what are those gaps that that person has that uh, needs to be developed. And once you do that, then then you're being more strategic about the training. I often I often see. Um, smaller companies bring in um, somebody to to train, uh, you know, all their employees on, you know, communications or whatever. And the the challenge there is is that everybody's at a different point in um, their communication skills, and it's it's great oftentimes to do that, but I I wouldn't look at that as really training strategically. It's it's training as a group to to help morale, 
Um, but it's it's not truly developing an, an individual. You want to target your your development efforts, and oftentimes that means coaching, because you can, and you don't have to bring in somebody like myself if you've got the skills to to coach individuals. That is probably the the best use of your time as a manager is is to coach your employees to to that next level. Yeah, that's so critical. And uh, I love your start with the Jim Collins, uh, get the right people on the bus, uh, also getting them in the right seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know uh, when you work with organizations, you're probably working in both. And part of that development is making sure that you not only have the right people, but also have them in the right seats, isn't it? How do you identify wrong seat issues? And then how do you continue to develop those that are in the right seats? Yeah, so um, oftentimes the the wrong seat issue is not so much a, um, a skills issue. It's more of an issue around the, the fit of the person in the organization that, you know, a lot of small organizations focus on skills and experience. And what they they don't do is they don't really dig into the person as who they are, not what they do. And the, the who is where a lot of small businesses miss and miss in the hiring process. Uh, and And generally those people... Um, don't last very long because, you know, they're, they feel like a duck out of water. They're, I, I liken it to um, an analogy that I use, and that is that palm trees are just love Florida and, and they thrive in Florida. But if you, if you dug up a palm tree and put it in Alaska, it would wither <laughs> and die very quickly. Right. Oh. So it's, so you you want to make sure that the people that you're hiring, not only do they have the right skills and experiences, but that they're going to fit your culture. We're talking this morning with Beth Miller, who founded Executive Velocity in 2006. Beth has poured her trademark enthusiasm and energy into helping clients manage their most valuable asset, uh, which is talent, by developing their leadership capabilities and building succession plans for organizational continuity. Beth, I want to ask you, what are some hiring mistakes that can cost a company time and money? Well, I think I think I probably already covered that. And that really is that, you know, not just focusing on the, the skills and experience, but also the culture fit. And um, one of the things that I find a lot of um, companies or hiring managers don't know how to do, and that is behavioral interviewing. And and behavioral interviewing is really focusing on um, historically what has somebody done in a specific situation. So it's, it's, it's not, has nothing to do about skill sets. Um, It's about, you know, dealing with like conflict management. Tell me about a time where you were working in a team and there was uh, one difficult person there. Well, how did you resolve the situation? How did you work through it? And that will give you an idea of, of um, who that person is. And, you know, are they, 
Are they somebody that's going to um, make um, excuses and, you know, point fingers? Or are they somebody that's going to um, help to resolve the situation? So those are, those behavioral interview questions are really important. And it's important um, up front for a company to understand what are those core competencies that are um, aligned with their values. So, you know, a, a value is can be very generic unless you dig down into what are the behaviors that support those, those values. So once you understand what behaviors you're looking for from an individual, and that's, it doesn't matter who they are. It could be the janitor or it could be, you know, the vice president of sales. They all need to, to be aligned with your values. And if, if not, then, then, then it's going to be, it's going to get hard later on. And, and that person probably is not going to last a long time. You know, I do want to get back to core values in just a moment, but the light bulb went on while you were speaking. I've heard it said by many hiring managers, uh, you hire based on skills, but you fire based on behavior. And so yeah. often there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I always said it when I was leading my, my company years ago, um, that you know you you can't you can't teach values. You can teach skills, but you can't teach values. Yeah. So if you don't if you don't get that right, um, then again there's there'll be problems down the line. So how do you tie uh, as you're coaching with these uh, hiring managers? How do you get them to connect the core values of the organization? to the core values of that individual? Because that's got to be, that's got to be a, a tricky proposition. Well, you, you first have to have to get clear on what those competencies are within your organization that, um, and there's, there's different levels, like a competency model can get very complex. Um, Large companies will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on building one and maintaining one. I work primarily with smaller companies and what I recommend is what I call a, a competency ladder. So there's the, the baseline competencies that support your values. And then there are leadership competencies on top of that, that leaders um, should have that along with the, the core competencies. So it, it's, it's just a two tiered. Uh, those, those competencies from a standpoint of bringing somebody in, you once you have the behaviors, and the behaviors will have multiple competencies. It gets complicated. The behaviors you go, it's it's cascading. So you start with your values, then values will have some multiple behaviors that will support um, the the value. Okay, and then a behavior could have multiple competencies and they they can matrix i mean it can get really complicated but what you want to do is you want to simplify the process you want to narrow it down to you know the top three or four that are are game changers that you know if if they don't have these they're just never they're not going to make it in the organization and then you build 
specific questions for those competencies, uh, behavioral questions that you, and then, then you've got to understand what am I listening for? I've got a question, but what are the good answers? So it, it, it takes, takes time to, to build that. But once you have it, it's something that you, you can use consistently, not just from a hiring perspective, but from a um, performance standpoint as well. You know, recheck in. You know, some, some people may align today, but they might have gone through some um, significant personal issue where all of a sudden they're not aligned. And you, you, so you need to, to check in, um, as a, as a leadership team to, to measure that on an ongoing basis. Again, we're talking with Beth Miller. In addition to running executive velocity, Beth in the past was a chair with Vistage, who is the most prestigious CEO and business owner peer advisory organization in the world. And I know, Beth, you chaired, uh, I believe a Vistage group for around 12 years. Uh, I did want to talk to you a little bit about coaching because I'm sure you were, you were coaching not only groups, you were also doing one-on-one coaching. Uh, But how can coaching help improve a company's profitability? Oh, wow. Um, Where do I start? So coaching, coaching is a way of developing others. And it's unlike mentoring, where mentoring is really about sharing your experiences. Coaching is asking the hard questions of of an individual to get them to come to their own conclusions and their own decisions. So it's a a way of of developing them. Um, A great example that I run into a lot is um, employees will come into um, a manager and have a, a problem. And the manager has the solution. And so they'll give them the solution. And the next day, that same employee has another problem and go walk right into the, the manager's office and have another problem. And the manager will solve that problem. It's, it's the old adage that, you know, you got to teach them the fish. You can't keep throwing the fish at them. So getting getting managers to slow down and ask some questions of that employee to get them to to come to their own solution will will eventually break that cycle. And it's things like, okay, so what what have you done so far? What options do you have? How would you approach option one? How would you approach option two? It's getting them to, most of the times they have the solution. It's, it's just easier for them to, to, to go into the office and, and get your solution. So that, what you're doing there is you're developing somebody in real time and teaching them how to uh, make decisions solve problems, and and be more productive. Well, I've certainly seen you in action in some of the Vistage groups. When you had asked me to come in as a speaker, you 
you bring a lot of energy, you bring a lot of enthusiasm to uh, coaching business owners and and helping them be the best versions of themselves. And I'm certainly excited about uh, uh, and stressing the importance of developing your people. And so we may have some listeners in the podcast uh, right now that are interested in finding you uh, and talking to you about coaching their people. Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, well, two. One, one is to go to my website, which is executive-velocity.com, or they can go out onto LinkedIn. And um, I'm, I'm listed as Beth Arm Connect Miller. So if you just put Beth Arm and then Miller, it'll show up. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, You always add a lot of excellent and meaningful content to help businesses and their organizations develop and grow. Thanks again for for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure, Bill. So next, uh, we're going to talk with uh, Matt Hyatt. Matt is CEO of Rocket IT. Uh, Rocket IT is the outsourced IT department for all kinds of businesses. Matt, uh, welcome, and uh, so glad uh, you're coming on the show today. Thank you, Bill. I'm glad to be here. So, Matt, with many organizations relying on either no IT or short-staffed internal IT departments, how does Rocket IT help businesses transition to new IT management? Well, you know, that's a, a, an interesting question in terms of uh, it, folks tend to fall all over the place in terms of what their IT uh, capacity is, uh, but also their IT needs. And our approach uh, really is to put together a, a team of technical professionals uh, armed with processes and uh, documentation and experience uh, to really set our business clients up for success and uh, remove all the obstacles and hurdles there are to leveraging their technology uh, to the best possible benefit of the organizations. What we found is that uh, for our uh, client base, which tend to be folks running businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities, anywhere from 25 to 250 employees is sort of the sweet spot for us. Most folks in that range uh, probably need to consider outsourcing IT because they won't have the budget to properly staff their organizations for the wide range of IT needs they, they have. And so think about uh, your typical, uh, even let's start at the low end of the scale of a 25-person organization. A uh, 25-person organization is going to have many of the same IT requirements as a large organization. They need... Uh, uh, obviously, they need their computers to work, but they also need folks that are skilled uh, and uh, experienced at things like cloud computing. And so if you're going to go out and hire your own IT person, uh, you probably need a cloud computing expert. Uh, they also run software locally on their own machines, and so they need an expert uh, at desktop uh, or laptop support. Uh, they probably ought to have a uh, robust backup system in place. Uh, There are entire uh, careers built around just making sure the data is protected. 
So you need a data protection expert. And any of us can go pull up pretty much any news website and see the latest breach of the moment. Uh, So security is a huge concern right now, and it's rapidly changing and evolving. And the bad guys are equipped with uh, uh, nefarious tools uh, and purposes uh, and cryptocurrency to get paid. And so uh, it's super important that we have probably not just one person, but a team of folks that are security minded. And I can go on and on. And so really the idea that a 25 person or 200 person organization will have the budget to go out and hire all the different skill sets that are required, uh, not to mention purchase all of the uh, tools uh, and software necessary to keep those businesses running uh, smoothly. It's preposterous, really. Uh, I would say most organizations in that size range have no business trying to build their own IT teams. They pr- they really need to consider uh, outsourcing where you can get that depth of experience and breadth of experience as well. So when we uh, engage with a new prospective client, we're typically starting with a roadmap. Uh, we're not going to come in and just say, hey, here are all the things we sell. You need these. Uh, let's take a look at what the organization is trying to accomplish, what their dependencies are uh, for IT, uh, where they're headed as an organization, and what they're looking to change. And then let's build a roadmap that we can follow, uh, regardless of whether you engage Rocket IT to do that. Uh, you'll have a roadmap that's available that says, hey, okay, here are, here are the big rocks. Uh, you know, Here are the things that we need to focus on next. We'll prioritize those things, those objectives, and uh, we'll, we'll build a plan. And then it's up to them. Uh, they still feel, you know what, it's best if I give this to uh, uh, Joey in the IT department to carry out all of these tasks, then, uh, then that's fine. Uh, but if they uh, would like to outsource it, then Rocket IT is one of many choices uh, that are available to make those things happen. Uh, so that's, that's sort of how we get started in that, that process. Well, I'm a big believer in staffing your core competencies, but outsourcing your weaknesses. And I think uh, IT is certainly evolving and changing. Uh, It makes a ton of sense to outsource it. Now, you talked a little bit about threats. Uh, I'm sure that's on the forefront of of business owners. Uh, Rocket IT has done a great job remaining at the forefront of innovative thinking around threats. So I wanted to ask you the question, you know, both technology industry and the threats surrounding clients that rely on it are continuously evolving. And so what has Rocket IT done to ensure that it remains at the forefront of innovative thinking? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's actually commanded by necessity. Uh, We cannot uh, continue to use the methods that uh, we used five years ago uh, to protect our clients from all of the threats that have evolved in the, on the IT landscape. And again, just thinking about some of the uh, uh, news articles that we've all seen about uh, how organizations are infiltrated uh, by uh, hackers and other forces, uh, it's kind of crazy what, what we're faced with. Uh, and when I say we, I mean business owners and leaders in general. Uh, we've heard many times uh, that uh, some of the uh, largest organizations in the world, including uh, U.S. government uh, forces such as uh, the Pentagon, have been infiltrated 
by uh, government-funded uh, forces from other parts of the world. And so how's, how's the guy or the gal that's sitting there trying to run a five-person or 50-person or organization supposed to protect themselves from uh, a government-funded uh, hacker group of potentially hundreds of hackers. It's, it's nearly impossible. So uh, what we have to be doing as an organization is continue to make sure not only are, do we have our foundational security processes in place, uh, these are the things that we should have had in place for years as, as business leaders, right? We should, we should have uh, all of our machines are up to date with uh, the software vendors' uh, latest operating systems and updates. Uh, we should make sure that uh, we've got a bulletproof backup system in place that includes not just a local backup, but an offsite backup as well. Uh, a firewall is a 100% necessity, whether you're a one-person organization or a 5,000-person organization. Uh, you need to get, make sure that you've got antivirus software and anti-malware software in place. You know, those are all the foundational things. But then on top of that, you've got behavioral issues that you've got to work with. A lot of, a lot of folks uh, fall into the trap of uh, phishing attempts, phishing as in P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, right? So uh, we've seen these. We've all seen these. Uh, and they used to be pretty terrible and easily identifiable. You know, we've got the Saudi prince has got the, uh, a bundle of money set aside in your name. Pretty easy to recognize that, right? But these days, uh, these phishing attempts are much more sophisticated, where it may actually look like an email comes in uh, from someone you know, complete with a signature and logo uh, that looks exactly like the one that you would normally get. And so how do you tell the difference between those uh, and, uh, and the Saudi Prince uh, email? It's, it's very difficult to do. And so one thing that has evolved quite a bit is we must educate the people that we're supporting. It can't be just us going in and, and arming the, uh, the network with all of the latest and greatest defenses. We have to train the folks to uh, learn to identify and protect themselves uh, from threats. And so, again, these are, these are necessities uh, for us that so we've got to stay on top of it and try and stay at the forefront. Uh, and then it's an ongoing battle because the bad guys are very motivated uh, financially so or otherwise, uh, to uh, to hack our systems, to gain access to our information, uh, and to literally steal our money. Uh, and so th- these are these are things that we just have to do. Absolutely critical. And uh, Rocket IT does it well. We're talking this morning with Matt Hyatt, CEO of Rocket IT. Uh, Since 1995, Rocket IT has helped businesses meet their goals through the effective use of technology. Today, the organization actively supports a long list of growing companies in diverse industries, including finance, healthcare, and manufacturing. Matt, I'm going to change the topic a little bit to culture. Uh, First, uh, 25 years in business last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, you have done that through building a great company culture. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you recently received the Gwinnett Chambers Small Business Culture Creator Award. That's so right. uh, uh, I just want to ask you, 
Uh, we talked earlier with Beth about getting the right people on the bus and getting them in the right seats. How has Rocket IT ensured that its culture stays intact while working remotely this past year? I, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that it has been a challenge, right? Uh, I had a, a conversation with one of my mentors uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about how we were looking forward to meeting in person again because uh, it's not easy uh, always to communicate through these uh, cameras and, and screens. And he said something that I hadn't thought about before, and he said that, uh, you know, we humans are, are wired uh, to have five senses and to operate in three dimensions, and when we're on those screens, uh, we're down to, uh, uh, I think, uh, th- what? We've got hearing, we've got vision, so two senses, right? Uh, and two dimensions. And so naturally, things are going to get missed. Uh, you miss out. You know, you don't see all of my body language unless I happen to be a super animated person, for example. Uh, so uh, uh, it is absolutely a challenge to uh, uh, move from seeing each other in person to working through uh, telephone and, and screens. Uh, but some of the things that we've done to try and combat that, uh, number one, is uh, we still try and have uh, fun together. And so whenever we're having, for example, an all-staff meeting, uh, which we do every single week, uh, then we ask folks to make sure that their cameras are on. Uh, we did a silly hat theme for a while, so folks were wearing funny hats to the meetings or costumes. Uh, we try to have a, uh, a part of every staff meeting that we call STARS, uh, so we, you know, Rocket IT, we try and make everything rockety. And so we have stars and uh, that's just an opportunity to call out our fellow team members for a job well done uh, or a little plus one that they've done in the, in the uh, uh, organization. And we always try and tie that back to our company values. Uh, so if somebody's done a great job, not just, hey, uh, add a boy uh, or add a girl, but uh, here's why. Here's the particular value that, uh, that uh, I think resonated uh, with me when you did that thing. Uh, so we do that. Uh, every single team member in our organization uh, has what we call a uh, one-to-one meeting uh, with their uh, mentor or coach. And uh, Beth, I appreciate that distinction between those two. I agree 100%. Uh, but uh, uh, that allows every person to make sure that they feel connected to another person in the organization that's there to uh, help through both uh, support uh, and occasionally challenge uh, to help them uh, be successful. And so that's an important part of it too. Uh, we also have small team meetings uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, and so, for example, we may have our uh, sales and marketing team uh, meet on a weekly basis to talk about things that are specific to their organizations. Uh, we've done games uh, after hours that we've done via Zoom. We've tried watching movies together. Uh, we just wrapped up a uh, book club uh, that uh, takes place for about uh, uh, two months where we read a book uh, together. We read, read uh, Ray Dalio's book, uh, Principles, uh, was the last book that we read. And so we do that. Uh, and then uh, we ha- have felt comfortable to do some outdoor events. So, uh, for example, we're uh, in the process of adopting the road that runs by our uh, office here. And so we all get together outside and uh, put on our uh, uh, orange vests and pick up trash to, uh, to uh, keep our community uh, clean. So I could go on and on. There are a ton of things that we do just to keep people uh, feeling connected to one another. Uh, A lot of community involvement type stuff. Uh, But I absolutely believe that uh, leaders uh, set the culture for their organizations. And so it's important uh, as leaders that we remain uh, a great example and and help people 
keep people enthusiastic about where they, where they work and the team they belong to. So ending our interview on community involvement, Matt, because I know that's near and dear to your heart and to the heart of the organization. So I know Rocket IT regularly participates in fundraisers, outreach events, mentoring opportunities, and even hosts its own community spotlight series through Thrive Gwinnett. So why does Rocket IT have such such a strong interest in community involvement? You know, I think uh, it has evolved over time. I tell the story sometimes uh, when, when in, in the early days of Rocket IT, I, I ran the business uh, solo, independent for, for many years. Uh, and uh, I used to joke to folks when they called and they didn't know anything about us. Uh, they'd say, hey, so Matt, how many employees do you have? And I always tell them three is me, myself and I. Uh, right. Uh, but when you start uh, uh, building a team, uh, you need a way to uh, rally people together and uh, find a com- common cause. And uh, quite com- candidly, when I started the business, the uh, purpose of the business is Matt Hyatt needs a job. You know, like you, Bill, I'd been laid off from another job and it was time, you know, an opportunity to start the business. But Matt Hyatt needs a, a job is not super motivating uh, to other people that come to join the team, right? And so uh, when I started building the organization and adding other team members, I really had to stop and think, what, what is it that drives me uh, to build a business? Because building a business is not particularly easy. Uh, it uh, takes uh, quite a lot uh, to, to really make it work for a long period of time. Why do I do that? Uh, and what can I share with other people that might attract them to the organization? And for us, and for me, uh, the more I thought about why that is, it had to do with when I feel most successful is when I feel like I've had a truly positive and significant impact on another human being. You know, if I, if I look back on the t- times that I felt particularly uh, happy or successful, it was always connected to, wow, I think I really made a difference for that person. Uh, and so we ended up codifying that as uh, the simplest three words we could come up with, which was help people thrive. Uh, By the way, uh, a good friend of mine uh, came in behind me and simplified it further. And it's just love. Yeah. Love people. Right. And, uh, and loving people means uh, supporting and challenging them and uh, helping them be successful and be the best that they can be. Uh, So once you figure out that, hey, you know what, the thing that really drives me and the reason that I'm here and the reason that I do hard things is because I really enjoy helping my fellow human. Well, look around. What are the opportunities to do that? Uh, Obviously, there's our families. uh, There are our uh, fellow team members uh, inside the organization. But you don't have to walk very far outside the, the door to realize, hey, there's a whole community of people around here that need us. And how can we take the uh, gifts and talents that we have and uh, pay it forward? And uh, the community is just a great place to do that. And the better our community is, then the better it is not only for uh, everyone around us, but for us too. And so, uh, so that's why, why we are so passionate uh, about uh, being uh, active participants in our community and trying to support and add value where we can. Well, what a great approach to not only work, but a great approach to life, Matt. And I can see why you you have built the culture that you have. Uh, 
And around the question of someone who might need you and need IT support, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you or get in touch with Rocket IT? Uh, visit our website. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about us or contact us, uh, it's rocketit.com, R-O-C-K-E-T-I-T.com uh, is probably the best way. Uh, I do, on a personal level, uh, I do occasionally connect with folks through uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, however, I'm not one of these open networkers. And so uh, if you want to connect on LinkedIn, we need to have some sort of connection. So I, I, what I would suggest is, if you want to reach me on LinkedIn, mention this show. Uh, tell me that you know Bill uh, McDermott or Beth or Yuli or John, and uh, that's probably going to uh, get you a connection and start a conversation. I'm interested in real relationships for the sake of relationships, and I think opportunities come out of relationships, but, uh, but it's in that order. Let's have the relationship first, and then if there's uh, an opportunity beyond that, well, that's, that's uh, icing on the cake. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Matt. So thanks so much for coming on Profit Sense today. It's really been a delight uh, chatting with you. Thank you for having me. And so now our conversation turns to Uli Dendi, with CEO of True Language. Uh, Uli's been advancing the language service industry with her expertise in technical writing, translation, and software localization for more than 20 years now. Uh, Uli, so good to have you on the show, and uh, I want to dig in a little bit with um, just asking you to tell me a little bit about your company and how you got started in business. True Language started uh, in 2006, and um, we in August, we will celebrate our 15th year of Congratulations. Doing- yeah. yeah, thank you, and, and so much of what Matt and Beth have talked about Resonate. Um, uh, Matt was talking about the local community and True Language focuses on the global community. Um, So we support typically mid to large size companies. We support their marketing teams, their training department, their technical writing department with their foreign language projects. And that can be anything. It it can be software localization. Um, These days we do a lot of e-learning localization uh, where companies train their employees remotely. Um, It can be just um, internal communications. Um, In 2020, it became so important for CEOs to reach out to their global workforce. And one of the ways they did that um, are just videos so they they would take videos and we would then transcribe them so take the english listen to the english put it create a script translate them sometimes we do the voiceovers or we do subtitles and that's then how uh, the company distributes that communication from the ceo globally and i started way back like in, in 30 years ago i was um I was actually trained in sciences, so I studied microbiology and genetics and realized that working in a lab was not for me. I wanted to do, I wanted to be around people. I did not want to be around carcinogens. So um, there was a company in Huntsville, Alabama, way back then, they had a huge um, translation department. And somebody said, 
let's hire Uli. She's bilingual. She can translate, which is a huge misconception. Just because you are fluent in another language does not mean that you can write, that you're a translator. But they hired me. They took me on. And I became a technical writer slash translator and um, started a, a great consulting job with UPS. And uh, in 2006, I then jumped the gun and, and started True Language. That is a great story. And I, I'm always curious about uh, what's in a name. Uh, so True Language. Uh, Tell, tell us about what the inspiration was to come up with the company name and how you feel that exemplifies your organization. Yeah, true language. I, I, translation is difficult. And, and I think the truest form of language, and I think any language can be, I think is poetry, where a message is just crystallized to its essence and, and it conveys these this message in a few number of words. Translators and linguists are wordsmiths. They think a lot about how to translate the message, not just in words, but to where um, they can be culturally understood, where it makes sense in their culture. And then oftentimes it's even more granular than that. It's where it makes sense to a certain demographic within that culture. So you may be a marketing company, you want to reach 20-year-olds in Mexico. Um, You have this message in English, but does that resonate with the 20-year-olds in in Mexico? So so I was thinking about all this complexity of of language and um, thought of true language. That's, That's where we want to be we went. We want to translate this message um, to the truest meaning in that respective culture. Yeah, that is uh, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, we're speaking this morning with Uli Dendi, CEO of True Language. In addition to being CEO of True Language, uh, she serves on boards of the Technology Association of Georgia International Business Society and the Atlanta chapter of the International Association of Business Communicators. Uli, talk a little bit about how the the translation industry has changed over the years that you've worked as a language professional. Technology is the short form. Um, Technology has developed so much, and uh, I often get asked, uh, well, now we have, machine translation. We have things like Google Translate, won't that make you obsolete? And what I have seen in all of these years as a translator, our tools have become better and better to where we can now translate in a environment that uh, facilitates collaboration. So our translators or our translation team at minimum is always a translator and an editor. And if you need this translation done quickly, you can have them work in the same environment. So translator translates, editor comes behind and and edits. Um, So so that helps us to um, translate 
and much more volume. And these days, it's all about content. We, we're all pushing content out, and we need to have that translated as quickly as possible. So how do we achieve that? I talked about being the message being on target and being understood and being culturally appropriate. Now, machine translation oftentimes may get the gist of the message, but it's not the true meaning um, of the conversation. So we use machine translation sometimes to make a process go faster. But then we have editors working behind machine translation to then finalize the story. Um, there are applications for that, you know, website, not website translation per se, but these huge amounts of content that you have behind website that need to be out there very quickly. We can accomplish that using the tools we have. So that's how I've seen um, the, the trends. That's where the industry trends are going. Another um, thing that, that I've been seeing is how the big language service companies are buying up the smaller companies. So companies in the two, three to five million uh, space of revenue. And that consolidation has kind of um, has an influence on the service that clients receive. Um, oftentimes, these very big language service companies they go where the labor is cheapest. So they have project managers in China or in uh, the Czech Republic, or they move them around, or actually they hire them where they are. But, but then a client here in the US may have to work with a project manager in China. And oftentimes they're not even aware of it. And they just wonder, why can't I get this person on the phone? What's the deal? Why do I have to wait six hours before they get back to me? So, um, so, the, so those are the things that I've been saying is that um, consolidation and um, and technology. Yeah, those are uh, those are two big issues I'm sure in many industries in the present day. Yeah. So I understand that True Language is based out of the Atlanta area. Do you have a significant client base in Georgia? Yes. When I started in 2006, I thought the Southeast was there was just fruitful for a language service company. There weren't that many language service companies uh, around, but Atlanta has been attracting all these uh, international headquarters. And um, so, and, and, and the diversity as well, not just the headquarters, but then people who move here. So the, the Atlanta or Georgia, the top, well, just, Five languages are Vietnamese, um, Chinese, uh, Spanish, and let me see. Um, what's the other one? Sorry, Korean. Korean probably. Yeah. yeah, Korean. Gujarati being the fifth one. So all of the material for the Department of Labor, for instance, has to be translated into those the four top languages. So a huge opportunity for a language service company. But also, I, I get excited because um, it helps us work in the community locally. So we reach out to folks who come here from other countries. We work with subject matter experts. Um, 
from other countries here in the local area. So it just makes us a stronger organization. Well, and helping those who come from diverse cultures uh, communicate with one another. Uh, communication is absolutely essential. So uh, in your part of the world, uh, you're helping people come from different languages, different cultures, uh, and not necessarily speak a common language, but get their language spoken to them uh, and translated uh, through what you do. So if anyone in our podcast is listening that would need either translation or transcription, uh, how would they get in touch with you and your firm? The easiest way is the website, truelanguage.com. Um, there you'll have um, a telephone number and contact information. I am on LinkedIn. I think we're pretty much all very active on LinkedIn. And you can find me at uh, with Uli Dendi uh, on LinkedIn. Very good. Well, it has been great having you on the show and, and sharing what you're doing with our listening audience uh, in in language. And so thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future Profit Sense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is Profit Sense with Bill McDermott signing off. Thank you so much for my three guests today and make it a great day.